Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. All right, let's go ahead and get our Bibles, and we're going to go to the book of Titus. Uh, we're starting a brand new series in the book of Titus. We call it a book. I don't know really, really why, because you can read it in about 30 seconds. Um, it's only three small, small chapters. In fact, yesterday I was mowing the grass, and I had it um, on uh, repeat in my headphones. And like every, every it's like every, what do you say? Really? No, seriously. Like every two passes across the lawn, it was re- restarting. I was like, man. This is not a whole lot, um, uh, so we call, but we call it a book for some reason. I don't know. But it's a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to a gentleman named Titus. We're going to learn a lot about him. Today, all we're going to do is just sort of set the stage. All right? In fact, we're only going to look at the very first verse, and we're not even going to look at all of what the first verse has to say. But next week, we're really going to dive into you know, what the... What the uh, a letter is all about and, and what Paul is writing, we're just going to kind of take a big an overview of why this letter even exists, what's going on with Titus, what's, what's the, inner, what's the uh, context of what's happening, because if we're not careful, uh, we can just pick up this book, this letter, and we can read it, and we could come away with this idea that, hey, here is the catalog for how we need to live Christian lives. Because when you read it, 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 it doesn't take long. I encourage you to do so. You could come away with, all right, here's the 17 things to do in order to be an acceptable Christian. Well, in fact, if you have a study Bible or something, it's probably broken down into that sort of language. The, the, I think I saw one this week that said the catalog for, for godly Christian living or something along those lines. But So if we're not careful, we can just go to it, we can read it, not see the context, not see what's going on, and just say, oh, here's how we live the Christian life. We do this, we do this, we do this, we do this, and now I'm living the Christian life. But if we do that, we're going to be uh, seriously... Uh, messing up because that's not the purpose of it. that's not what it's about to just simply give us a catalog of instruction on how to do the christian life it's a little chilly in here yeah. maybe a little bit okay maybe we'll work on it. it was really hot earlier now it's kind of cold i don't know um so here's what's going on in the book of titus uh the apostle paul is written around 63 or so a.d the apostle paul has has been on several missionary journeys already, and he comes to this little island of Crete in the uh, Mediterranean ocean, uh, Sea, Ocean Me- Sea, Mediterranean Sea, and he comes to this uh, little island called Crete, and he has Titus with him. And I don't know, nobody knows how long they spend on Crete, but we don't think it's a long time. 
But Paul, when he leaves the island, he actually tells Titus, who Titus is one of his most faithful uh, like partners in his missionary efforts. He leaves Titus there while Paul continued on to other missionary you know, locations. But he left Titus there for a very specific purpose, and that was to set things in order. Somebody, if you want to open up your Bible to, I told you to go to Titus. Well, don't leave Titus, but go over to um, Acts chapter 2 if you want. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about, as we know, Peter was uh, sharing the, uh, uh, the, the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes down. But it was a festival where Jews from all over the Mediterranean world came to Jerusalem to celebrate the giving of the law. This is Acts chapter 2. And in that celebration of the law, the Holy Spirit came, comes down and the, uh, the, the church is actually born in that day in the sense of people are born again, believers happen, the Holy Spirit is given. And what uh, the, the writer of Acts says is he lists all the different places where people had come from to Jerusalem to celebrate. These are Jews. And he lists this place of Crete. And so in Acts chapter 2, there were these Jews that had come to Jerusalem thinking, hey, we're just here to do a festival, a celebration of the law. They hear Peter sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes down. They're born again. And when they're ready to go back home, they go back to Crete. They don't have a preacher. They don't have a Sunday school teacher. They don't have even a New Testament they just have, and I won't say just as in that's not enough, but they have Christ living in them and they go back to Crete. And so there, there are Christians, Jewish converts, if you will, in Crete already. And when Paul shows up, apparently you get this idea that in all these different villages, there's already believers, but they haven't been told the full message of Jesus plus Nothing. Imagine being a Jew, and many of us, it's not that hard to imagine because most of us grew up in a very religious Christian organization, uh, myself included, but imagine being a Jew where everything is based upon your behavior and how you do and how your performance and your track record, and then all of a sudden you hear about this life-saving work of the Messiah has come, you believe it, you receive it, you have the Holy Spirit, but you're never really instructed on the fact that it is just the Holy Spirit, it's just Jesus, and everything that you once measured your life by, your okayness by, it is, you're dead to that. See, they hadn't got that, they hadn't heard that, they just heard what Peter had taught them, which was fantastic, but they didn't understand the fullness of Christ Jesus alone. And so when Paul gets there with Titus, you get this idea that there's all these churches, there's, there's people, born-again believers in all these little places, but there's confusion because they're mixing, they're combining Jesus with all of their religious activity that they had always done in Judaism. So they had Jesus, but they thought, like many others did, unfortunately, that it's really Jesus. Jesus is great, but I still measure my okayness with God by, by, by my performance, by what I do, by how I live. And so Paul was, his destination wasn't Crete, apparently. Maybe he took a ship and they, they had a port in Crete. But Paul's desire was to go on to this other place, but he saw the confusion. He saw how messed up it was. And so he said to Titus, look, 
I didn't expect this. This is kind of a curveball. We weren't planning on staying here. I've got to go on to the next place, but I'm going to leave you here to set in order this confusion because they're on, they've got Jesus, but there's some massive confusion about really what the good news really is. And it's only getting worse because we'll see in the coming weeks, those of the quote-unquote circumcision, who's that? Jews, are making it even worse. They're adding to the confusion. And in fact, we're going to see Paul use some pretty dicey language. Talk names. I mean, he calls them names here. And maybe we'll see that next week. And so this is the, the, the context surrounding this. Paul gets there. He's excited that there's people who are born again. But there's just a confusion. There's not a clarity of the fact that the old has passed away. The old system of Judaism, of Moses, the law of Moses has passed away because now we're not trying to live up to stone tablets. Now we have the Lord Jesus Christ himself in us, joined to us. Crete was known for being very immoral, kind of like Corinth. In fact, some people say that Paul was in Corinth when he was writing this letter to uh, Titus. And so it's kind of funny because Corinth is also known as being a very immoral, immoral place. And so, uh, in fact, if you called someone a Cretan, like I say, man, Bob, you're such a Cretan. It's like, say, it's like calling Bob a liar, you know, just, an, just a, an immoral liar. You can't trust Bob. He's a Cretan. And so you have this tension where the Christians want the immorality to improve but they were confused on how that immorality got improved. They thought they were being uh, led astray to think that here's how we improve immorality. We hold on to the Ten Commandments. We hold on to the expectations of God that he gave Moses. That's how we're going to improve this immorality. And Paul, again, livid at this because he knows... Who of all people would know how futile that sort of thinking is? The Apostle Paul himself, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, according to the law, blameless. But he realized, as we see in Romans 7, that no matter what he tried to do, there was something in him, the power of sin, that was being strengthened as he learned, thou shalt not covet. My gosh, thou shalt not covet. Now there's all sorts of covetous desires within me. So it's not the law that curbs sinning. It's actually Jesus which is super, super clear in chapter 2, which we'll get to. So that's sort of the background of what's going on. And I want us to just take a look at the very first verse of Titus, uh, this letter that Paul writes to Titus. He's, he, Paul's introducing himself. You know, uh, they, like today we would write like sincerely Walt at the end of the letter. Back then they did it different. They start off with who the writer is. And so it says, Paul a bondservant of God and apostle. Apostle means someone who is sent, sent of Jesus Christ. Now, in the salutation right here, this is the opening. This is, the, this is what this letter, the short letter, this is what the purpose of this letter is all about. And I got it in red, two things. For the faith. So I'm writing this for the faith because there's a mixed up understanding of what faith is in Crete. So I'm writing this letter to you Titus, because there's some faith issues of, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of truth. I'm really looking forward to Craig sharing in a couple of weeks about being, living as 
born-again believers in this postmodern relativistic you know, culture. But Paul is saying there is a truth. We've talked about this word truth in the scriptures a lot. The Greek word aletheia, which literally means reality. I'm writing this to you because there is a reality that you guys, that, that the Cretans, the, the believers in Crete, are not seeing. There's a faith issue. You're not, they're not understanding faith, what faith really is, what the gospel really is, and they're not seeing the reality of what the gospel has accomplished. And so I'm writing this to straighten this out, to encourage you, Titus, to contend for this faith and this reality because it gets old after a while. Imagine being Titus. You know, Paul is your spiritual father. We'll see that in a couple of verses, not today. But Paul was the one who led Titus to the Lord. So Paul was, Paul calls Titus a spiritual son that he gave birth to, to, to Titus because he led Titus to the Lord. And so your mentor, the guy you look up to, he said, hey, you stay here while he goes on to the next city. It can get lonely. I mean, it can get, it can get lonely. And so Paul is saying, look, I don't want you to be lonely. I want you to continue. This might not be the only letter he wrote to Titus. We don't know. This is the only one we have. But he might have written other ones as well. But he's saying, don't stop contending for this faith. This whole letter, these three chapters that you, if you make three or four swipes on the lawn, you're done listening to it. It's short, but this is all about what the faith really is and what this reality of Jesus' work has actually accomplished. The knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. In, in, in other words, this is to summarize, this is Paul, and here's what I'm writing. I'm writing for the faith. We're going to talk about what faith really is, and I'm going to write, I'm writing for the truth, for what reality really is. Now, what, what does this matter to us? I mean, this is what, 2000 and, no, 1900 and, I can't do math all that well, 2018 minus 63, whatever that is, years later, okay? What does this really matter to us? Well, we don't have to really use our imagination too much to understand that while probably none of us grew up in Judaism, many of us have grown up in a very clear mixture of thinking that morality, just the simple knowledge of good and evil, is the solution for ungodliness. But what we forget so often is that it was the idea of simple knowledge of good and evil that caused the death of Adam and Eve. Remember in the garden? They had life. They were walking with God. And then Satan, as Craig will probably say in a couple of weeks, the first, the first, the first example of relativism, you know, says to Adam and Eve, they say, hey, did God really say that? Is that really what he meant? Let's, let's relativize this a little bit. And so they reached out to try to become like God, apart from God, to know the difference of good and evil. And when that came into them, when, when religion, if you will, came into them, they died. And so thousands of years later, Paul here is writing to these, the, 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 this, his friend who he left to straighten these things out, saying it's not simple knowledge of right and wrong. That, that's not Christianity. That's not life. There's something better. There's something bigger. There's something deeper. And so for us today, when we walk through this, I think we should put ourselves as closely as we can into the shoes of these Cretans who we ourselves tend, even though we are captivated by the gospel, even though we are are mesmerized by it, 
we can still tend to resort to a thinking that the thing that changes bad behavior is a list of what good behaviors are. And we try and try and try to just do the good. I don't talk often about my counseling clients that I see, but I was with one this week and he was telling me about his gym partner who was struggling with, um, with, with lust and pornography, etc. And his test, what he told this client that I see, he said, you know, I just need to try better. I just need to try harder. I just need to put more effort into overcoming pornography and temptation and whatnot. And, you know, isn't that most of our story? We just, hey, we just need to try harder at stopping these sins. We just need to try harder at doing what is right and stop doing what is wrong. Is that Christianity, just trying harder to do better? Or is there something better than that? I think these Cretans had been taught the way of Moses. She just simply try harder to overcome this immorality. And Paul is saying, no. Titus, you stay here and you straighten out. Don't let them, as our little subtitle for the series is, don't let them mess up what God has set up. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask four questions. You're going to share me your thoughts on what you think. A little interaction, a little different. Since we're in a smaller group, we can uh, do this. But the first question is, what is the faith? You know, Paul's writing this letter. For the faith, defending the faith, to protect the faith. How can we summarize the gospel that Paul proclaimed? Any ideas? Any thoughts? What is the faith? What is the gospel? Yeah. To be with God forever. He is God. He's right. never was apart from God. But, mm-hmm. And that we would also, because of that faith, like Him to be raised up. Right. And have eternal life with Him forever. Awesome. Any other thoughts? What is the faith? Jim? So I think faith is unfaltering belief. And the faith mm-hmm. is Jesus plus nothing. Right. That's a great summary. Yep. Yep. So faith is both an action, it's what, you know, it's what we are doing, we're trusting, believing, but it's also an object. What is the faith? What is it we're believing? Very good. Awesome. Any other thoughts? What is the faith? What is the gospel? Gospel means what? Good news. I think we've got to start there, right? It's good news. We forget that sometimes, don't we? This is, this is good news. As Mercy Me says, this is, it's not just good news, but it's the what? 
The Best News Ever. Great album. You should listen to that one, uh, that album of theirs. But here's uh, James Barron. If you're not familiar with James Barron, he has a website called seeinggrace.com. I highly recommend it. He says, the good news is that God is no longer counting sins. And, and you mentioned that, Bob, when you said that Jesus cleansed us. That in his death, all of our sin was taken into his own son. And we who believe in the son, God is no longer counting our sins. This is very different from Judaism. This is very different from most Christianity that's out there. That God is no longer counting sins. Has he counted sins? Yes, he has. And he counted them all into his very own son. So let's never think that God is easy on sin. You look at the cross and tell me, is God easy on sin? No, he is not. He has counted all of our sins already, and he no longer is counting sins. And, see, most people, I wish, would just get that part, that we're actually forgiven. But there's more. The cross on Friday was the result of which is no more counting of sins. But as Bob, you said at the end there, was there's a resurrection. There's a whole new thing, a whole new life. Uh, Jesus says that, that, there, that, the, um, that a whole new, the whole new people was created in a day, in his resurrection. Paul says that it's the resurrection that actually saves us. And so we have been, to- and we are now, through this resurrection, totally new creations. We're not the old man sort of spit polished up and said, pat on the rear, say, hey, go out and try a little bit better next time. The old man who you once were when you were born of this uh, world, born of your mama, has died, died, no longer exists. And you are now a new man, a new woman, a totally new creation, united to God in all of this is by faith, by trusting, believing in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the faith that Paul is contending and he's writing about is not just simply, hey, let's go and become a club, let's go and be social, but it's this great news, this good news that God's no longer counting sins and we are new creations all by the work of Jesus Christ. Now what do we do? We discover what that means to be a new heart, a new creation, A um, German philosopher, you can pronounce his name if you want, says all truth, because remember he's not just contending, he's not just writing about the faith, but he's writing about a knowledge of this reality. All truth passes through three stages. I like this. First, it's ridiculed. All right? You can think of Christ, how he was ridiculed by the religious. Secondly, all truth is violently opposed. Well, again, you can look at Christ. I don't know if this philosopher was a Christian or not, but violently opposed. And then third, I love it, it's accepted as being self-evident. I mean, think of the centurion. Surely this is the Son of God, right? I mean, it's self-evident. I just saw the earth open up and dead people walk around when Jesus died. This is not just some person. Surely this is the Son of God. Um. I think it was Pyth- uh, Pythagorean. Pythag- was this how you say his name? Pyth- Pythagoras. And the, his theorem is the Pythagorean theorem. So Pythagoras, years and years ago, he first postulated that the earth was round, as far as modern thinkers. Of course, the scripture already said that. But anyways, he was ridiculed. The earth isn't round. 
And then he was violently opposed. But only now some weirdos are saying that it's flat. And if that's you, I apologize, right? <laughs> um, but but it's, it's, it's evident. It's self-evident. We've got pictures from the moon. They show it's round, right? So this is how truth passes. And so when these in Crete, these, these people, there was some extreme uh, uh, ridicule. They were being ridiculed when they were saying, talking about this new reality in Christ, and it was being violently opposed. Paul talks about how he was left for dead, and they sent wild dogs on him in Ephesus, violently opposed. But it was only not even 250 years later when Constantine said Christianity is the new religion. It is, it is accepted as being self-evident. So the first question, what is the faith? How do we summarize that? It is this good news that God is no longer counting sins and we are new creations. We're not trying to become something. We are something by birth. Second question I have for you. We've got four of these. Why is it so important to Paul that this truth, this reality of this good news, of this faith, why is it so important that it's revealed from heaven, that people are reminded about it, that they repeat it over and over. I mean, if you don't think Paul is repeating the same message over and over, read Galatians, read Colossians, read Ephesians, read Philippians, read First and Second Corinthians. It's his, he has one message, and he summarizes, I think, the letter to the Corinthians, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's one message. We don't move on from this to something else. Why is it so important to Paul? that it's protected, that it's defended, that it's kept pure. Any thoughts? Why is this such a big deal to Paul? Because, I mean, he's like a bulldog. I mean, he, he does not look to the right or to the left. He is passionate, calling people names, as we'll see in this letter to Titus. Why is he so passionate? Why is it so important, Jim? I can't speak for Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I can speak for me. Um, it's totally foreign. Uh, I earn what I get. Right. That's hard for me to swallow, even though I've already ingested it and digested it. Yeah. I still, you know, question how that could be. Yeah. I, we're not used to seeing that kind of unconditional love. Right. No strings attached, no free lunch. That's, right. That's not a common concept. Agreed. It is foreign. It's not of this world. And so it takes repeating. It takes reminding. It takes a revelation from heaven for us to even... Begin to even process it. Absolutely. Any other thoughts, Bob? I think along with what Jim was just saying, uh, it took revealing from heaven for Paul. Mm-hmm. That's what he was living, trying to live, and he was like one of the most, you know, the tribe of Benjamin. He right. Was one of the most learned of the law. Right. And. You know, that God stopped him on the Damascus Road audibly mm-hmm. and gave him temporary blindness. And right. So he, he knew how wrong he had been. Right. And that God himself yeah. so spoke the, to him and told him. So a way to say that it's, he wants it to be so clear to others because it's so clear to him. Maybe it's a great way of saying that it. He was so wrong yeah, him. right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Jonas? I was waiting for the last word there, and it says, and kept pure, and I see the gospel in its purest form 
as being pure. Right. It has never been, because it is the work of God, right. it has never been contaminated. Right. In reality, nothing right. has ever really been added. Mm -hmm. And to bring awareness to this truth yeah. stands on its own. Yeah. Um, and to the extent that it appears to have been diluted or contaminated, it is added on. Right. Mentally. Right. Know, Religiously. Mentally, yeah. He presents the church spotless. Right. Because he made it spotless. And to the extent we have UK's bubble yeah. with it, it has been burned up right. by things. Yeah. And so I see it as pure and just reminding that it is pure right. and it remains pure. Yeah. And, and that <coughs> to bring us back to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, anybody? Else? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay, let's go right here, Kathy. I was just going to say, why is it so important to Paul? Well, it is such amazing good news, and Paul has compassion and love for the people around him. You know, given to him by God, that love and compassion clearly was placed in his heart. And he wants other people. He wants the people to know about this amazing good news. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Doug? Based on the repeated stuff, I can't remember the exact scripture location. You probably know it off the top of your head. You know, the faith is linked by hearing the word of God and hearing and hearing. And right, hearing. Right. That's why it has to be repeated. So. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Um, so so a, couple, great, a couple other thoughts. Do, do you think... Do you think that the people of Crete, the believers, do you think they wanted to honor Christ? I would say, yeah, sure. They, they were messed up a little bit in their thinking like we all are. But do you think they wanted to honor Christ? Well, here, here's one of the reasons I think Paul's so adamant about this is because it's impossible to honor Jesus and not honor what Jesus actually did. You see that? It's impossible to honor, to worship, to celebrate Jesus and not to celebrate what he actually did. And so if they think they are still dirty in their sins because of the constant awareness of sins by means of the law, well, they're not honoring what Jesus actually did, to, that Jesus took them through death, that they've died to sin. Uh, number two, another thought similar to what some have already been said is that the very heart of the Father is true freedom. The heart of the Father is freedom, true freedom. And that's only experienced through Jesus plus nothing, as we call it, him alone. And so the passion of Paul's, I want, it's not just about some system changing this system of Judaism into some other sort of system called Christianity, but it's the, it's the idea that this is the very heart of the Father, that you experience freedom from this world, which only comes through a revelation of your oneness with God himself and he being your life, your sustenance, which is basically what number three gets into, that union with Jesus is reality. Kind of like what Jonas was saying. It is the reality. It is the fact whether we see it or not. And any other add-ons that we religiously add on to Jesus plus nothing, it keeps us from seeing our union with Jesus. And this is the last two questions we're going to ask really spin off of this one um, about our union with Jesus. How not seeing our union with Jesus, how it affects us. 
The add-on of religion creates increases in our awareness of sins, and it increases guilt and condemnation, resulting in a feeling of dirty and distance from God. I'm not clean. I'm not close because look at all these things I've done. My focus is on the flesh and not on my union with the one who said, let there be. And so the guilt, the condemnation of the conscience and of the enemy start tripping with my mind and convincing me that I am dirty. And so I'll never see my union with the Lord if I see myself still in my sins. So the add-on of religion makes us feel dirty and distant. But there's another add-on that's very common, and that's the add-on of licentiousness. That's a big word. That basically means, hey, you're forgiven, so baby, hey, the sky's the limit. Do whatever, whatever comes into that noggin of yours, go and do it. Licentiousness. You have a license to go out and do whatever sinning comes to mind. Well, what does licentiousness create? What does the add-on of licentiousness create? It creates an increase in fleshly appetites that results in us looking to this world for satisfaction, for peace, for joy that this world can now offer because, hey, I can do whatever comes to mind. And I look to this world to satisfy me rather than realizing that it is Jesus alone that satisfies my deepest longings. So whatever the add-on is, whether it's religious add-on of you better do the law, you better fly straight, you better you know, do these ten things. Or the other end of the spectrum, licentiousness, hey, go and whatever thought comes to mind, go to these add-ons. Neither of them are freedom. These add-ons keep us from seeing our true union in Christ and what Jesus affords and what he provides us with. Question number three. At first, I was thinking this might seem unrelated, but hopefully it connects. When you look in Jesus, what do you see? Popcorn, anybody. When you look in Jesus, what do you see? Just throw it out there. Eternal life. life. Awesome. What do you see when you look in Jesus? Pardon? Truth, Truth, reality. Purity. Purity. Love. Love. Life, peace. peace. What else? Joy, happiness, contentment. A friend. A friend. The Father. When you look in Jesus, what do you see? Completeness. Lacking nothing. You know the one who slept during the storm. Wow. Tell me that's not cool. Yeah. What do you see when you look in Jesus? Honesty. Honesty. Integrity. We are in Christ. Bada bing, bada boom. All those are true. But I submit to you that by living by add-ons, whether it be religion like the Cretans were, or by licentiousness, which also some of the Cretans were, we'll see that also, we'll see both, By living by add-ons, we don't see the truth that we are in him. Isn't that true? We don't see that. That's not our first thought. All those other thoughts were totally true. I heard love, peace, contentment, joy, totally true. 
But if we were honest, we probably didn't, the Father, I love that one, we probably didn't think, I'm in Him. Because so many of us don't see ourselves in Him. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, and you were, talking to the uh, Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Big sentence there. Among them, we also, we Jews, we used to formerly live in the lust of our flesh. That's true of us too, you Gentiles, us Jews. We were indulging in the desires of our flesh, of the mind, and we all, you Jews, we Gentiles, by nature, we were children of wrath, even as the rest, everybody else. But God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here's why I think Paul is so passionate about communicating what the faith, what the gospel really is, this new reality, is because when you look at Jesus, you need to see the reality that you are in him. You are in him. Not just safe, sealed, secure, but as John says in 1 John, as he is, so also are we now in this world. There is no separation between you and Jesus. You are in him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is a famous one. If anyone is in Christ. I mean, this is all over the scripture. But we take this phrase of in Christ kind of being like, you know, that's in, you know, yeah, I'm righteous in Christ. Like it's some sort of like make-believe place. No, this is where we are. We are in him. So if you open up Christ, you're going to see love, you're going to see peace, you're going to see all these things, but you're going to see you because you're in him. The old has passed away. We're new creatures. The new things have come. Colossians 3, you say, okay, well, I'm just in Christ, but, you know, that'd be, it'd be really cool if I was in the Father, you know, God the Father. Well, Paul says that you have died, we just said that, and your new life, this new creation is hidden with Christ in God the Father. So we're not only in the Son, but the Son is in the Father. Maybe I should have asked, when you look in God, what do you see? Because I think we could all kind of maybe wrap our minds around a little bit being in Christ, because, you know, he's Jesus, he's the one who loved us and died for us. But so few of us really see the Father when we see Christ. But Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. So that's where we are. And so I think Paul is so passionate about defending the faith and about communicating the reality of this gospel because we don't see ourselves in him. But that's the reality because we've added on either a doobie doobie do religion or some sort of other sort of licentiousness that we don't really need Jesus because, man, I can run to drugs, sex, and all this sort of stuff to get my fulfillment. I don't need to find fulfillment in Christ, a licentious attitude. Last question. When you look in you, what do you see? Well, I know what you're going to say, Walt. Because of the last question. So we know where this is going to end up. But 
Let's be honest. Do we see that? And if we're not on the same page, the answer is Christ. Do, do we see that? I mean, seriously, when we look in the mirror at home, when we look into us, when we're driving down the road with, you know, I almost said trying to loosen my load. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but uh, when, we're, when we're driving down the road and we're thinking about who we are and looking into our lives and to the decisions we've made, the things we've done, how many of us are like, man, I see Christ? Probably not many, myself included. I'm in the same boat. Why? Because we are victims of this same add-on. We are. We, we've known it since the garden. This is not new. This add-on of, our, what did they do the first time that they realized the knowledge of good and evil? They got dressed. They put fig leaves on. And guys, who told you you were naked? And they're trying to f- work their way into being covered because they think that there's something wrong with them. And we look at our lives and we're trying our best to improve. We're trying our best to cover up failures, to cover up flaws. Jesus would never be in me because we're victims of the same add-ons that the Cretans were and uh, and others in the first century of whether it be religion or whether it be licentiousness. But what do you see when you look in you? What do you see? Colossians 1, the mystery, which is Christ, has been hidden, which has been hidden from past generations, ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So apparently you're not only in Christ, but Christ is actually in you. Do you see that when you look in you? Do you see him? When you look in you, or do you see dirty, rotten, worm, sinner, scoundrel, can't ever make a right choice? Listen, if you're born again, yes, we do stumble in many ways. At least I do. We stumble in many ways. We think wrongly many a times. But that doesn't change the reality that it is Christ in us. That is our hope of glory. Not trying to accomplish rules, laws, and regulations. Not to try to do better but is Christ in us. You say, well, yeah, that's Paul writing about this. Well, let's take some words of Jesus, you know, the one who is in us. He says, he's praying, this is John 17, he's praying to God, this is hours before his death. He says, may they all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I am you, that they may be also in us. That's what we saw, question number three. When you look in Jesus, what do you see? May they be in us. So the world may believe that you sent me the glory which you have given me. I have given to them this glory of oneness with the Father. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them, Jesus says. So when you look in you, what do you see? And the reason we don't see Christ, the reason that's not the first thought that comes to mind, is because we are are not all that different in our thinking from these Cretans. And so we're going to read a letter over the next, I don't know how many weeks it's going to take, that Paul writes to Titus to say, hey, 
help them understand the truth. Help them understand what the faith really is. I'm writing this for the faith of those Cretans that they may acknowledge the reality of what Jesus really has done. Christ in them and them in Christ. That's why we don't need Moses. That's why we don't need the commandments. That's why Paul even calls the commandments no glory at all. The commandments have no glory. Why? Because of a far surpassing glory of who? Christ now in you. But if we can't come to that truth, that reality, that Christ lives in me, then we're going to find ourselves continuously going back to some sort of method of rule keeping, of standards to live up to in order to try to improve ourselves, just like the Cretans. And Paul's going to blow that up. So, our little theme, our subtitle, let's don't mess up what God has set up. And how do we mess it up? We mess it up by being distracted, by following what sounds good, by following even what is natural in our mind. Let's don't mess up what God set up. Our journey marker today is a whole new way of living has come. I mean, that's an understatement of the century, of the, of the universe. A whole new way of living has come. If we don't see it, if, we don't, if it's not revealed, if we don't pick up on this, if we don't pick up what Paul's putting down, then we're not really living. We're just going through some sort of re- religious rigmarole. And I just think there's, there's something better than that. And that's what I want to discover with you as we walk through this little, short, teeny tiny, as Drake would say, he's my five-year-old, letter that Paul writes to, the, to, to Titus. Before we break uh, up and head out, um, any questions, any thoughts, any, hey, but what about any um, ideas before we conclude? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm hard to see. Hmm. Um, first off, let me let me just state I think something that's obvious for everyone here. I'm glad to be a part of this fellowship because I learned so much about the Bible that I just did not know. Hmm. I mean, I essentially 52 years old. I've been in church. I used to say um, I had a drug problem when I was very young. Yeah. My parents drug me to church every week, <laughs> um, and I thought I knew the Bible. But there's so much that I learned uh, in this fellowship. And I appreciate Amen. that. Well, you're a big part of that. Amen, man. Um, Thank you. Christ is a bigger part of that. That's it, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> today, you answered one of the questions that I struggled with in this whole new concept of the, of the gospel that I never really um, kind of understood again. I, it's hard for me to grasp this because I don't earn it. But the licentiousness mm-hmm. aspect of it. If this is true, then you can just do whatever you want to. And I've always questioned that. I never mm-hmm. really felt like I had a good answer. Today, you answered it for me. Oh, cool. And that is that really it's nothing more than an add-on. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, born to the concept of the, of the gospel. Yeah. But I add to that as well something else. You, that concept is about um, how licentiousness affects our relationship with God. I also think of how licentiousness affects your relationship with others. Now, oh, yeah. God says sin is now dead in your, to me, 
as I look at you. Right. My wife does not. Correct. So whenever I make a mistake, whenever I sin, if I get angry, if I uh, do something sinful, that affects my relationships with others, and that goes against the concept of having life and having it more abundantly. Right. God gave us the rules in the Bible not to make us unhappy, but rather to give us the, the opportunity to be happy. So there are some aspects of it that are outside the gospel that benefit you by being oh, yeah. a good person. Yeah, and I think what we're going to see from Paul, and let us all be the judge of this as we walk through it, but I think what we're going to see from Paul as we walk through Titus is how does that life within Christ, how does that get out? Is it by trying to find the rules, the good rules in the Bible and just trying to live by them? Or is it by a growing revelation and awareness of this reality? Because he says, I write this for an acknowledgement, for an awareness of this reality. And we'll actually see him so crystal clear in chapter 2 say that it's not any rules of the scripture that teach us how to live godly. It is grace alone and his love for us alone that allows that to actually happen. And so, um, no, you're absolutely right. God's no longer counting my sins against me, but you guys would, and you should, I guess, if, if I you know, do something, and vice versa, in the sense of, we are accountable in this world for what we do. I go 75 and a 25. I can't tell the judge, but I thought God wasn't counting sins anymore. Well, God doesn't sit on the courthouse. Uh, the, 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 he doesn't sit on the court in, in Albemarle County. He sits on the court of heaven. So, yeah, no more counting of sins. As I say often, who would be the most ticked off person in the universe if God was still counting our sins? It would be Jesus. What was that cross thing all about? If you're still counting their sins, Dad, what is that cross thing all about? I went through that, and you're still counting sins? I think it would be Jesus. So any other thoughts? Great thought. Uh, yeah, Jonas? I was also kind of thinking about the idea of uh, lasciviousness or anything that you indulge in is like, Yeah. Yeah, we forget that the, the self-control is a fruit of the spirit. We try to control ourselves, but no, it's a fruit of the spirit. Bobby, you going to say something? So, just a few people have shared um, stories of their children. <laughs> so, I always said when I would become a grandfather, I, would, I wouldn't be like the grandfatherly guy that's always married and kids and but <laughs> 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 
daughter sent us this video of Jonah, and we just laughed about it, you know. But then, this is just weird to me this morning, thinking about this video and what he said. Actually, kind of feel like that's what Jesus said in differently. But so Jonah's sitting there on a sofa. He's three years old, and he, his two-month-old little sister is next to him. He's got his arm around her, and he says he's looking at her just so intently. He says, "I saved, I, I protected you huh. from a monster." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. By him dying. Yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. Any closing thoughts before we break? Man, it's so great. I hope you guys are excited. I'm really excited about walking through this. Um, it'll go through, I don't know how long it'll go, but we'll see. Um, let me uh, close this with a word of prayer. What we need to do, uh, if we don't mind, is we need to stack the chairs up and put them towards the back. But they only are to go four high because when they get more weight, they, the legs start like, you know, not buckling, but like doing something weird. And so only four high. And so it'll be a couple rows, of course. Yeah, but all, all the way to the back. And um, if we get some help cleaning this stuff up and, and whatever Alvina needs help with because we're taking our little boxes that we have here back over to the trailer. So any help, our trailer, our life training trailers on the other side of the field there. I don't know if you saw it or not, but... We're just going to put it all back in there and come back next week. All right? Well, let's stand and be close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your life. We thank you that we do have these letters. These letters aren't what saves us or even sustains us. It is Christ alone. And without seeing Christ, even these letters can become death to us if we just look at them as what to do and what to be in order to be something. But Father, let us see Christ in us. Let us see us in Christ. And it's only going to come by the revelation of this finished work of Christ, what he's done to us. That we're no longer in the flesh. Yeah, we can choose fleshy things. But you're no longer counting sins. We are a new heart. We are a new man. We are a new creation. And I pray that whatever it is in our lives and our thinking that is blinding us to that, whatever add-ons, whatever, whatever's, that they slowly be removed or quickly be removed by your grace so that we can see a new reality of a life united, joined, one with you. So, Father, we thank you. I pray that you would... Increase our fellowship as we seek to make a big deal about Jesus week in and week out. Even the truth we proclaim is ridiculed, even violently opposed. But I pray, Father, that there will be many who receive it as being self-evident. So, Father, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. 
If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.